We always do this. Every so, damn time. It's so awkward to just start talking. So. Well, who are you? Do, oh, would it be so? Okay, yeah. Hey, I'm Gina. And I'm John. And welcome to Gaming in Real Life. <gasps> A podcast about the ways people form relationships with games. And the ways that games facilitate relationships between gamers. <laughs> so why are so why are we talking right now? Uh, remember, like early, like maybe the first episode that we ever recorded, where we promised that we'd fuck something up. Yeah, and make I mistakes. Re I remember that promise well. We kept our promise. <laughs> We're good like that. Yeah. So uh, you may notice that the sound quality in this intro is much better. I <laughs> did notice that. Oh, you mean for the listeners though? Yes. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that too. Okay. Uh, and that's because I got a beautiful new microphone for Christmas. It's so pretty. It's large. I'm looking at it right now. It's yeah. heavy too. Yes. It's very impressive. However, for reasons I still don't understand, <laughs> and probably never will understand, the first episode that we recorded with the brand new fancy microphone included frequent skipping of important parts of our conversations. It almost looks like we were going to be able to edit around it, but then it got to the point where it was just, it was literally every minute it would happen. It was basically Swiss cheese. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. So, instead, we are going to be giving you a previous or previously recorded podcast, which was going to be our last episode, but now um, it's here for your viewing pleasure. Yeah, we sort of had viewing. <laughs> we sort of had this set aside as if we ever needed a bonus episode, we were going to tap this one. And we need a bonus episode. We want to give you content, and uh, this is what we have. But it's still a wonderful conversation, hopefully. I thought it was a very interesting conversation. So very how, uplifting for so, the new year. So give them context. How did, we, how did we come to have this conversation? Well, it was originally part of our... Halloween episode, but it ended up going on for so long that we felt we had to cut it in half. Um, and, you know, new year, new beginning, new end. It's about death. Yes. <laughs> you can see how the Halloween conversation just kind of naturally went in that direction. But I hope that you'll enjoy it. And as always, we encourage you to comment, um, subscribe, send us emails, Talk to us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter, and we have a website, gaminginreallifepodcast.com. Yes, we're so glad to hear from you. Oh, and how many listens have we had? Oh, okay, so we're up to about 84 listens on SoundCloud, and we have decided that we're going to do something special once we reach 100 listeners. So give us some suggestions on what we might do. It could be embarrassing. It could involve face masks or singing uh, it, it should be embarrassing. This is a good this is a good opportunity for you to take advantage of how needy we are. It's true. So please leave your comments on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you do your podcasting. In the meantime, please enjoy this, our lost episode. And we promise that the next month's episode will include extremely wonderful sound quality. Uh, it will still be keeping, taking place in my closet, but it will sound a lot less like it's being recorded in a closet. Every episode will get a little better. That's the hope. You know, we're, we're just trying our damn best here. We're trying so hard. <laughs> Please love us. Okay. <laughs> we should probably uh, cut this down before, before it gets really pathetic. Here's the episode. Enjoy it.
go back in time go back in time yeah it is really interesting i mean i think yeah you you become an accomplice in your own deception when you decide you're going to believe it, it has been suggested to you that you have 10 minutes to do this thing or you are going to die I want to and believe. you choose to believe it you know never enough that you could actually feel like you are in danger but enough that you can start to stimulate some of that fight or flight response i would really like to see a game that kind of dug further into the aftermath of those experiences. So one thing that we see in Manchester of Madness is that it's basically post-traumatic stress disorder. You are you're responding to the horror that you've seen, and mm-hmm. it can change you in very profound ways. But I don't see a lot of games that allow you to cope with the gravity of the experiences that you have. That would be really interesting to me. I think that it would be really new territory for a game to to deal with the fallout. One game that is likely to do this, and I don't think it's a game I'm going to want to own, but the Arkham Horror cooperative card game has you play with the same character across multiple missions, but as you start to be... Again, it's a feature of the Lovecraft world that the more you see horrible things, the more you become to realize that that's actually just the way the world is. The world is actually a very bad place. Um, If you believed otherwise, you were deceiving yourself, and becoming aware of the truth actually makes you come unhinged. And so your character will... You have a deck of cards that represents all of your character's uh, abilities and actions and things and all of that, but this deck slowly starts to become clogged up with cards that represent the unraveling of your sanity in reaction to these horrible things. And the more you play through the same scenarios, the more of this your character has to take on. So that I think is an. I I think to I feel like to do this you kind of have to play a campaign. Yeah, I feel like that might be. I think that's probably a good point. I think that you certainly have to deal with some of the fallout in, for example, um, Pandemic Legacy. You kind yes, of have to, that's a good example. You kind of have to cope with the choices that you've made in earlier games. Um, but I can't think of a lot of games off the top of my head that really grapple with that when it comes to, to death and horror. Because there are plenty of games where where your characters die, where you're having to cope with death. But, for example, in... Dead of Winter, you don't... Certainly, like, the morale goes down when Mm -hmm. someone dies, but you're not really coping with that fallout. You're not really reacting to that. And not every game can do this. Well, although Long White... Long long White? Long long Night does introduce the despair mechanic, which, as I understand it, um, starts to make your characters increasingly suicidal the more if the colony dies. That's a good point. Um, I I just feel like... You know, Freud had this idea. I feel like I just I'm I'm so constantly bringing up these like high-minded topics. You're, no, 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 please, please, absolutely. Well, you're like the one who's doing all the hard work of explaining the games and I'm just like being the pretentious <laughs> one. But, no, no, no. I love it. Please educate. But Freud had this idea that all men are afraid of death. I mean, do you do you agree with that? Do you think that everyone's afraid of death? I think so, at least on some level. If and I feel like that's an assumption that's in a lot of these games, especially Lovecraftian games. There's that assumption that we're all afraid of death and horror, um, and that's basically a theme throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. But I, 
don't feel like there are many games that allow us to cope with death or to look at death as a primary mechanic. Mm-hmm. One game that comes to mind for me is The Village, where you're paying... I mean, it's a worker placement game, but you're paying for the tasks that you're accomplishing in time. And so your workers are dying as you're trying to... <laughs> have you not played The Village? Yeah, I have. I have. I guess I just never thought of uh, time being a currency. Yeah, in the game. That's really how it is. Time is your currency, and you're you're paying for things with time, and so you're trying to accomplish these goals as your meeples are just passing away, and f- future generations are taking on this task. It's almost like you're, you know, this very mean god just like, <laughs> slaving away, like sucking the life out of people, like the pit of despair in Princess Bride. Right. Um. But of course, there's no like mourning. It's just how it is, and. I would really like to see a game that kind of grappled with death as a primary theme. I don't feel like I can think of many games that really focus around death as the primary theme. Death is the thing that you're trying to avoid in a game, and it's final when it happens. And and that's a very limited way of looking at it, I think. That's an interesting thought. I, I must admit, I can't quite picture what that would look like. Well, thank God I'm not a game designer. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, I don't agree with Freud's idea that all people are afraid of death. I don't personally have a lot of fear of death. I think that when you grow up with a disabled person in your family who has a chronic illness, that you naturally have to grapple with death, perhaps in a realer way, at a younger age, over an extended period of time. Um, and I also feel like I'm very fortunate in the fact that I, I constantly look back I, I probably think about death more than the average person, but I also think about my life in terms of if I died, you know, tomorrow, how I would feel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I'd be dead, so I wouldn't have any feelings about that. But um, mm-hmm. but I I'm, I feel like I, I try to live my life in a way that if I were not to continue with it, that I'd be okay with that. I feel like I've accomplished a lot in my short life. I should qualify. When I say that everybody is afraid of death, I don't necessarily mean all the time or to the extent. I do think that there is a strong survival impulse in all of us uh, that we experience as fear, but I also do think that many of us learn how to cope with it and learn how to uh, engage with it and accept it and incorporate this into who we are rather than trying to avoid it or push it to the side. I don't know if that's the same as not being afraid of death anymore, although maybe I'm just not so far along in that process yet. I, so I, I wonder if what that might look like, you know how there are games in which you, um, in which you program actions and then watch them play out? Mm -hmm. What if there were a game where one of the things that you could do would be to program post-mortem actions that would be carried out? As your death, and so when you die, you just kind of watch. Part of part of having a character die is just having these cards slowly be resolved. That are things that were put into uh, place. Oh, I love that! But you also only have so much control because uh-huh. other people love to make death about themselves, right? Um, or really any kind of tragedy, and you don't really have any control after you're dead and gone. Right. So I feel like that would be really interesting. Because the, the comedy of games in which you program actions is, of course, that, you know, it, it's unpredictable what's going to happen, so you make the best guess that you can. Best laid plans. Yeah, exactly. You know, in a game like Robo Rally, you might, you know, not be aware that that conveyor belt was going to disappear, and so now you've just spent three turns running into a wall. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it would be really interesting to plan out a turn, assuming that you're alive. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then halfway through you die, and you just see what happens. And then, yeah, the, all of the things that you put into place now happen, and it, it's it, it's this kind of, it's this morbid reflection on, man, yeah, uh, you know, I've had an impact on the world, but I'm out of the equation now. Yeah. Everything that I've put into place now just happens, and <laughs> I, I, get, I don't get to be a part of it anymore. So it, it's kind of a, it's a weird reflection. I would really like... I, I enjoy a morbid theme. I do. <laughs> I do. The Bloody Inn's what's come what's coming to mind. Oh yes. You know, the Bloody Inn is a game that I, I like but I don't love. I feel like because you only have two actions per turn, that you not only feel very limited, but your turn just feels so short. I just I feel like whenever I play the Bloody Inn, I spend a lot more time waiting for my turn to come around mm-hmm. than to actually like enjoy and play and have fun. But the Bloody Inn is a game where you are making decisions because you are part of a a family of hotel owners who are murdering people and burying them and trying not to get caught. Mm-hmm. And I love the theme of it. It very much reminds me of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like probably at some point that's out of the the world of the of the game. Like later on down the line, you're probably going to dig up the bodies and turn them into pies. But I don't feel like a lot of games have the stomach to to deal with morbid topics in a in a humorous and kind of flagrant way. Well, and it's a tough thing because games, I think, very much want to be accessible, um, or at least many of them do. But so. death is is something that we will all experience. And so it sounds like one of the things we're taking from this conversation is that horror games, as a rule, are more interested in engaging with our fear of death and using that to kind of titillate us a little than they are in actually making us think about death. Yeah. I mean, I I don't feel like a lot of games are willing to push you into this kind of uncomfortable philosophical corner. (laughs) I I don't. I don't. don't No, that's our job. That's that's where we're just naturally going to (laughs) go. Yeah, but, but sometimes games do force me to think about, you know, the nature of humanity or consciousness or other highfalutin topics. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I really dig into it and think about it, and as someone who just just likes to think about death every once in a while because I feel like it encourages me to live my life with more purpose, it's something I'd really like to see in board games. Well, this, will, this would be an interesting theme to uh, think about as we move forward is... How do games deal with death, and what's the importance of that? Because, I mean, I think a lot of games are awfully casual about it. And understandably so. Not every game can focus on everything, and ultimately the game still has to be fun and work mechanically. Yeah. But it, it would be interesting to continue keeping an eye on, are there, cre- are there games that deal with death creatively? And if so, how do they do it, and what does that mean for the player? Um, I mean, role-playing games are better able to deal with most topics <laughs> than board games just because they're so flexible. I'm not. That's not like a diss on board games at all. That's just saying, with a clever DM, a role-playing game should always be more capable of dealing with any topic you can think of, yeah. provided you've got someone who's clever enough to make it happen. That was a total cop-out answer. I'm sorry. That's. <laughs> well, I feel like one of the games that did allow us... Uh, my gaming group to think about death in a more complex way was Fiasco, which uh-huh. is a role-playing game that's all about 
the worst things happening to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I've played multiple rounds of it where, on the one hand, we once played a round of Fiasco where somebody died while, like, performing in a Backstreet Boys cover band, <laughs> and his heart just gave out because he had some previous drug issues. It was a very... It was very noble death. Um, whereas, and the end of some of the games that I played, like I once played a game that was set in the zoo where I died penniless in the streets of like Romania or Poland trying to peddle the story about this peacock that I was very attached to and sort of saw as my child. There, there's definitely been some variety in the way that we've dealt with death in, in that particular game, both with humor and with kind of heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's one of the benefits of a role-playing game is that you can you can really get into some darker places yes. and deal with that as it's coming out. I mean, I think the downshot to uh, role-playing games is, of course, it is entirely dependent on the group to make that happen. Yeah. Board games are, I think, a lot better at really creating a very well-structured and well-thought-out experience for us that is probably going to work with a lot of different groups, regardless of their personalities. Mm -hmm. By giving you more structure, it safeguards against groups that just can't quite figure out how to make an experience happen. Whereas role-playing games put a lot of the responsibility on us to make that happen. And it's their strength and their weakness. Yeah. I do feel like both you and I really appreciate a game that's very accessible, um, mm -hmm. and that anyone can enjoy, but I have to admire a game that really takes a risk because there's always an opportunity there for an extraordinary experience. And that doesn't mean that it's going to work for every group or for every player, but, but it's just magic. Well, there are many games that I adore that are not accessible and that's just the trade-off to make that game that just was perfect for me. That meant making it that meant doing something really particular. And so uh, the more you do that, the more you risk not having other people on board. But yeah, I think to really make somebody's favorite game, you can't worry about trying to make something that everybody's going to enjoy because then you're just going to water down the concept. We talked so much about how we were not board game designers, and I feel like we've talked quite a bit about designing. You... You can't avoid it. One thing that I think really interests me and a, a topic that I do, I, I, I will unapologetically keep bringing this up, is that board games make us feel things. Yeah. They create feelings in us, and the mechanics, the design of a game, are part of that. The aesthetics of the game are part of that. And so if I want to understand how people form relationships with games, I need to not only understand what I'm bringing to the game, I need to understand what the game is doing to me, how the game is manipulating me. And so I think you got to come at it from both angles. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for board game designers. I feel like a good designer must leave so much of themselves within a game. I think so. I don't think it's much different than writing a book or producing a play or making any other kind of media, I feel like it has to take a lot of out, out of you to leave so much of yourself. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, all game designers, for yeah. doing that. We admire you. We appreciate the work that you do. We do. It's created lots of, lots of fun for us. Yeah, and taking a lot of our money. Speaking of role-playing games, a game that's on Kickstarter right now that I have already backed, that I've found really interesting, I read about it in the games news on Shut Up and Sit Down, was Bluebeard's Bride. I read about that as well. Yeah, and I was excited about it because it's such a creepy story. 
But what was most interesting to me was the idea that the players play as different facets of one woman's psyche, the the bride in this case, obviously. Um, and I feel like role-playing games are so uniquely um, situated to to explore the psyche, to explore the nature of consciousness, to to look at something like mental illness in a way that's much more respectful than I've seen. I mean, that's a whole other... We can talk about mental illness um, and how it's portrayed in board gaming in general. That's a whole other topic for another day. Um, but I just felt like this is a, a game that I wanted to mention because even though it won't be ready in time for Halloween, I'm really excited to see it. And, it, oh man, it's going to be perfect for Halloween in the future. Well, and you mentioned uh, mental illness, but really there's potential for role-playing games to explore the idea that we're not really these unified entities. We are just a big bundle of competing desires. No one of them is in the driver's seat all the time. Um, and... So, yeah, I think that's great that there's a game exploring that, and I'm really curious how they'll handle sort of the handing off of power, or at what what does the, you know, in a, in a role-playing game, you, you decide what your class is going to be. What does a class look like? In What kind of skills do you get as a particular part of the psyche, and what parts are available? Man, there's just so many possibilities. I don't even know if there's going to be classes. Um, not every role-playing game has classes. Fiasco comes to mind to me as a game that doesn't have that component, and I find it still a very strong role-playing game. Um, but I, I also think it's really cool that the main authors of the project are all women. I love the idea of supporting more female game designers. No doubt, no doubt. That's um, definitely... I, w I would love to see more women represented in the gaming industry as well. Yeah. I didn't realize you had backed it. Um, that's yeah. exciting, though. Well, I hadn't necessarily planned on it. I don't back a ton of Kickstarter games because I really Kickstarter things in general. There's always a bit of a risk that it'll take a long time. and They do. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always a little frightening, and it's a little difficult to throw your money behind something that you haven't been able to look at and form a strong opinion of, but I was able to get a PDF of the whole game for $20, which is very reasonable, and uh, I have this love of kind of horror-adjacent themed role-playing games. Monster Hearts is another game that I've purchased before um, and really enjoyed, and um, I mean, I'm I'm honestly surprised that Bluebeard that story hasn't come up in other games that I've seen because it's so creepy. It's so creepy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have the PDF now, or is that coming? It's coming. Okay. Yeah, it will be coming. But it's been backed by tons of people, met tons of stretch goals, and um, you know I'm I'm all about a good scary story, even more so than I think. That's another thing about. Uh, scary board gaming, and I've certainly seen it in scary books. I love a scary book. Um, when it comes to scary movies, I, it, it depends. I can I can handle some of it. I don't tend to love anything overly gory, um, just personal preference. But what I see in my mind's eye is always so much more terrifying and feels so much more real to me. And that's what I really love about a scary story or a scary role-playing experience, because then you get to share that fear with other people in a much different way. No, I agree. I think um, 
real horror isn't monsters. Yeah. Uh, Didn't I, Stephen King say that? He he might have. He said so many things. <laughs> he, has, he said a lot of things. <laughs> no question. Have you read any of his books? Uh, I, I've read some of the Dark Tower series. I need to read those. I haven't read that. I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the ones that I read. I love Misery. It's one of my favorites. I haven't read that one. Oh, it's so creepy. I honestly feel like the the book is much scarier than the movie. I'm going to put that out there into I, the world. I haven't seen the movie either. Oh, well, Kathy Bates. I'm in no position to contribute anything meaningful to this conversation. Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. No, oh. I, um, I, I am excited to hear that you uh, backed... Um, the Bluebeard game, though. I don't know if I will back that one just because I so rarely get to play RPGs yeah. these days, and I have enough that I'm already not playing. But this one sounds really exciting, and we should play it when you get it. Definitely. <laughs> I feel like for me to, to really get invested in an RPG, it's a big time commitment, bigger than the average game, so... I need to feel like it's something special to to want to get involved, but I really have a, a desire to get more into RPGs, and I think that, um, you know, God willing, if I ever finish my dissertation and have a little more time on my hands, that maybe I'll I'll dig into it a little more. Because I'm also really curious about Burning Wheel. Um, there there are other RPGs that have caught my eye, but I just don't feel like I'm in a place in my life where I'm able to make that kind of commitment. It's like having a baby. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I mean, I I managed to play with the same RPG group for the last uh, three years, um, and man, that that took some doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cool when you can do it. You get a lot of uh, shared experiences out of it. Um, if I have one gripe about RPG gaming, it's that RPG gaming culture I don't think has totally uniformly gone over to this new wave of indie RPGs that have been coming out. Because there really are two schools of RPG design. There's sort of the more D&D-influenced RPG that's very, uh, I mean, it it's it's very much it's combat oriented and there are these big rule books with lots of different ways to customize a character and all of these different skill trees and whatnot and i get the impression for many of the people who play those sorts of games a lot of the joy in the game is actually in memorizing these complicated systems and finding all of the weird rules and loopholes and exploits, which to me just seems totally wrong. It's like a puzzle. It, I guess. And it's just. I, it's. I guess it's just not a puzzle I would ever have wanted to get started. Well, um, I've honestly only played Dungeons and Dragons one time with you guys. So. Dungeon World actually was the game that oh, we played. Oh, I see. Um, and Dungeon World is more the sort of RPG that I would like to play, because it is intentionally very rules-light, which I believe shifts the focus to uh, story. The problem I always had with RPG sessions, particularly as characters became more powerful, so the numbers got higher and there came to be more special abilities to consider, special attacks to look up, weird one-off rules to reference is that you would have a combat session that a combat that thematically was supposed to have only taken a minute drag out 2 hours. Hmm. If the point of an RPG was to act out a character and watch a story develop, it just plain didn't happen in a session like that. 
um, the system sort of gotten the way of the game. And that's something that I want to see RPGs stop doing. But this, the experience I described right there, I really do think is actually something players are still very nostalgic for, still having fun with, and more power to them, I guess. But yeah. it is one of those things where if I advertise that I'm looking for an RPG group, uh, a lot of those players are, I think, who are going to, uh, the players who are going to identify as RPG gamers. Meanwhile, I think the new wave of indie RPGs has real potential to bring in uh, a type of gamer who hasn't really been interested mm -hmm. in this sort of game before, and I'd like to see that happen. Well, see, you said you had nothing to contribute to the conversation. I don't know that much about RPGs, so I think that's fascinating. Oh, I meant I had nothing to contribute to the conversation about Stephen King. Uh, um, <laughs> I see. I see. Or about the particular Stephen King uh, novel that you mentioned. Uh. No, I've been playing... RPGs uh, I've been playing for many years, um... I like them less than I did when I was growing up, but it is a big part of what sort of fermented my identity as a gamer. Did I use that word correctly? I think so. Yeah, sure. Wait. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I'm not? I'm not the ultimate authority on that. Um, but I, ki I, I kind of mumbled it because I wasn't totally confident. Uh, well, I will say, and I think I was very lucky in that my introduction to RPGs was with Fiasco, because what I find... Um, exciting and fun about RPGs is that I love improv mm -hmm. and I used to do a lot of community theater when I was in middle school and high school and when you're an adult there's fewer opportunities usually to continue in that hobby which is a shame. Very true, very true. I, I'm so sad. I, I've been involved in several hobbies that you cannot really have when you're an adult. You cannot be a, an adult hobby pole vaulter. <laughs> you really can't. No, you really can't. It's true. No, and I also was in a bell choir, a handbell choir. You can't play handbells recreationally. Unless you'd like to join a church. Exactly. Um, th there aren't a lot of Quaker handbell choirs that I'm aware of. And and also... That sounds very organized for Quakers. I, I know. I'm not really great at that part. <laughs> um, but I, I also really enjoyed being involved in the community theater, and I feel like uh, role-playing games and also murder mysteries, which I have loved for a long time, have been doing murder mystery parties for birthdays since I was probably 13 years old. Um, those are all things that I really enjoy about RPGs. Well, and I, I would agree. And really, I have no illusions about being any good at improv or acting, but and when we play an RPG, it is an appropriate time to do it anyway. Oh, and you're selling yourself <laughs> short. Remember, <laughs> no, really. we played Fiasco... And it was that horror-themed haunted uh, house fiasco, which would be perfect for Halloween. Oh, yeah. And there was a mysterious box, and you stuck your hand in it, and then you started screaming and saying that your hand was gone. I mean, that was a perfect moment. <laughs> I, I guess I'd forgotten. I don't know. It's I don't feel confident acting. Let me put it that way. But oh. RPGs are nice because it's okay. It's okay there. I feel... Life is awkward. It feels appropriate. Life is awkward. There will naturally be stumbles in your RPG experience, just as there are in real life. No, that, that well, the point is though, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable trying in an RPG space. That that's an okay place for me to do it, and I like that. I think um, I think being good as an RPG is kind of like learning a foreign language. You have to be not afraid of failure. You have to be okay with the fact that you might make an ass of yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Well, it's interesting just because I'm absolutely comfortable doing this at an RPG table, but say dancing still drives me crazy, for example. Well, that's why I think all RPGs are better when you're a little bit tipsy, because I also am a much better Korean language speaker <laughs> when I'm a little bit tipsy. There you go. Fiasco is absolutely brilliant in the way that it facilitates um, improvisation, though. Yeah. It's it's a great game. I mean, I think a lot of RPGs just have the problem that they're sort of confused. They don't know whether they're improv games or combat games. And I think yeah. they're, they're trying to be both. And that was fine in the early 2000s when there just weren't many other options. You know, I wasn't going to play Warhammer, and so... To have a variety of different experiences at the tabletop, RPGs were it. Now, I think I have a good enough board game collection that I can have lots of different novel experiences at a table that are much more finely tuned, much better put together, and much more consistent. Even if I just want to have combat over the course of a long campaign, I'd much rather play something like Imperial Assault at this point, because every time I get it out of the box, it's going to work. Yeah. And you have to really trust the people you're playing with in an RPG, and that can be scary. And it, it can be easier if the RPG gives you more structure, but I remember a night playing Tau, um, which is a small box RPG. Vaguely remember this. And I didn't love it because I felt like there were nuggets of good ideas, but there wasn't enough structure for me to feel like I knew where to begin. That's the paradoxical thing is the appeal of an RPG is that there's a lot of freedom and yet the structure is so key yeah. to getting you to be creative. Yeah. Um, you don't really come up with your best ideas unless you're working around some kind of limitation. People succeed in spite of obstacles. It's hard to... Well, just like if someone told you to write a five-paragraph essay about whatever you wanted, oh my god, that would be so much harder than being told to write a five-paragraph essay about a specific topic. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. The, the new wave of indie RPGs have basically been... I mean, they're so rules-light that you read them once and you know the entire game. <laughs> but what the value in them is they're these really clever structures for facilitating different interactions. And I just love those kind of things. I mean, I, I really like being around people anyway, but I especially like it when you're challenged to do something creative or interesting with other people. Yeah. I do feel like, you know, RPGs are divisive, and I think any game that involves a creative element is naturally going to be more divisive. Yes. And, and those are the kinds... It's the, the high highs and the low lows. Those are the kinds of gaming experience where you're taking a risk mm -hmm. and maybe you're going to bring something to the table and it will fall flat. But if it works, I mean, I still think about that peacock, that sun, the peacock that I tried to genetically engineer to be the color of the sunset, but it was just red <laughs> and I was very attached to the peacock. I mean, like, I, I can never forget this story that I told with my friends <laughs> and it's all... Well, yeah. I just... I, my best RPG gaming memory is probably we had been playing a campaign for the better part of a year with the same group. Two things had transpired. One, very early, I think in a previous campaign even, this had been a joke for a while. The joke was sometimes you would find yourself chatting with a character in the story and you would 
decide that it would be prudent to attack them, uh, but you didn't want them to know. You wanted to get the jump on them. So the code word we came up with was somebody, if they were considering attacking this character, would say, do you hear something? And if other players agreed, they would be like, yeah, I definitely hear it. So in this particular campaign, we were being followed by this character, by the, this halfling assassin by the name of Jamma. We nicknamed her Jamma Whamma. And yes. sort of a frustrating character who we knew was following us all the time, yet would never actually help us out when we were fighting, even when we were very close to death. And, like, she'd randomly appear and give us helpful hints, and we'd be like, here's a hint, why don't you help us next time we're about to die? Fuck you, Gemma. So anyway, we uh, we get to the, the very last battle, we're fighting the big bad, we, get, we make it through by the skin of our teeth, and wouldn't you know it, she shows up at the very last minute, informs us that all of the treasure that we have liberated is hers. And it was just the most satisfying moment when somebody says, hey, do you guys hear something? Yeah, we definitely hear it. And our DM just is so exasperated because he thought we were done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, we are not ending the story here. There's an aftermath. Yeah, I hope I hope that people find these stories entertaining. I, I love to hear stories that people have around their great gaming experiences. So uh, let us know in the comments if if you're enjoying our reflections of our RPG. <laughs> let us know your great RPG gaming yeah. experiences. Or let us know your great um, horror gaming experiences. Is that a pretty good place to wrap this up? I think so. I feel like uh, we've touched on a lot of games that are good for the Halloween season, but also what we enjoy about many of the games that we play during this time of year. I think we've talked about how games make us feel things, how those feelings bring us together. I feel like those, feel those uh, themes will continue to come up in our podcast. I think those are things that we're both very interested in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well... Um, you know, I have to I have to give a shout out. If we are gonna mention anything about death in, in our podcast, I have to give a shout out to Ask Mortician, which is one of my favorite YouTube series. Um, and Caitlin Dowdy also wrote a wonderful book called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Mm -hmm. She always like concludes her well, she concludes many of her YouTube videos by saying like Remember that you will die. <laughs> and I feel like maybe that's how we should conclude today. Like remember that you will die. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Remember that you will die. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe we should have added some more jokes into this podcast. <laughs> what now? What was the tag that we officially came up with again? Good friends, good games, and good night. <laughs> so should we should we go ahead and add that one as well? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. So, remember that you're going to die. But before you do, we'd like to wish you good games, good friends, and goodbye. goodbye.